It's November, and Whitcomb Ministries is thankful to greet you here on Encounter God's Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, and guest teacher, Dr. Andy Woods, comes back today to offer more timeless truths for changing times. This is the sixth installment of our fall tradition of welcoming Dr. Woods to bring us a unique perspective on the Reformation as the senior pastor of Sugarland Bible Church in Sugarland, Texas, as president of Schaefer Theological Seminary, and as an attorney with a fascination for church history. Dr. Woods is the author of a book on the Reformation called Ever Reforming, and he led a tour of the sites of the German Reformation back in 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You can enjoy more resources from him at andywoodsministries.org. Browse the archive from all six years of these Reformation studies at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. If you missed part one of this new topic last week, you can hear that program there as well. In part one of his study on departures from the Reformation, Dr. Woods dealt with some shocking deviations from the Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura, or scripture alone. He explained why it is so vital that each one of us must commit to remembering that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, taking the Bible literally from its first chapter and first verse, like our founder, Dr. John Whitcomb. Dr. Wood's teaching continues that line of thinking, and he comes back now to address more of these departures from the Reformation. We welcome him for the completion of the series, and we're keenly interested in today's lesson. So here with more is Dr. Andy Woods. And we are continuing our look into modern-day departures, deviations from the great principles as espoused by the Protestant Reformers. Please allow me in this session to give you five areas where modern-day Bible interpreters, very sadly, are departing from the great principles as espoused by the Protestant Reformers. The first area relates to literal interpretation. Notice uh, the words of Martin Luther. He said, I have grounded my teaching upon the literal word. He that pleases may follow, he that not will not may stay. Notice the words of Philip Schaff, the great church historian, concerning literal interpretation and John Calvin. Schaff says, quote, Calvin is the founder of the grammatico-historical method of exegesis. He affirmed and carried out the sound hermeneutical principle that the biblical writers wish to convey to their readers one definite thought in words which they could understand, close quote. You see, the Protestant reformers believed in literal interpretation, when they describe their own method of interpretation, they frequently use the word literal. Very sadly, today, many people will not approach the Bible literally. This is particularly true in the book of Revelation. Notice how one non-literal interpreter of the book of Revelation puts it. He says, quote, Some instances of literalism seem strange unreasonable and unnecessary. For example, literal interpreters hold that the eerie locusts of Revelation 9 and the strange frogs of Revelation 16 are literally demons who take on those peculiar forms, that the two prophets of Revelation 11 literally spew fire from their mouths, that every mountain in the world will be abolished during the seven bowl judgments, 
that the fiery destruction of the literal city of Babylon will smolder for more than a thousand years, that Christ will return from heaven on a literal horse, and that the New Jerusalem is literally a 1,500-mile-I cube, close quote. Notice this particular interpreter follows literal interpretation until such an interpretation deviates from his own personal standard of reasonableness, and then in the process he rejects literal interpretation. We need to get back to what the Protestant reformers espoused with their emphasis on literal interpretation of the entire Bible. A second area where modern-day evangelicalism in terms of its interpretation is departing from the principles espoused by the Protestant reformers is in the area of the knowability of truth. The Protestant reformers believed that truth was a knowable commodity. In other words, you could go to the Bible using the right interpretive method and discover truth. This is what uh, Martin Luther said in his famous debate at the Diet of Worms. He says, quote, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and the councils, for they have all contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Luther clearly believed in that statement that truth in the scripture could be known, and he could actually use that truth to stand against the great Roman Catholic hierarchy of his day. But you see, in modern-day Bible interpretation, many people do not believe that truth is something that can even be known. Notice how Robert Thomas, in his book, Evangelical Hermeneutics, summarizes the problem. He says, quote, A highly publicized courtroom drama of the 1990s presents an analogy. Robert Shapiro and Johnny Cochran and their defense team in the murder trial of ex-football star O.J. Simpson did a masterful job of diverting attention away from their client. They focused on the investigative energy of the police officers, their qualifications, their motives, the lab technicians, the failings of the Los Angeles Police Department, and communicative breakdowns in the district attorney's office. By the end of the case, one wondered who was on trial. Was it Simpson, the district attorney's office, or the police, or the judge? Philosophy and modern linguistic theory have done the same things with hermeneutics, a discipline which has traditionally been concerned with the text of Scripture and God's ability to communicate with his people. It is now the interpreter who was under investigation rather than Scripture as God's vehicle for communicating truth. Human limitations in regard to language as a means of communication, human predisposition to distort, human conceptual distance from the text, human incapacity to know anything with certitude, 
human inability to comprehend communication in another culture. In essence, hermeneutics has become an exercise in probing anthropological finitude instead of an attempt to grasp the meaning of God's written revelation from an infinite God. This perspective radically departs from the long-standing grammatical historical dependence upon God's ability to communicate regardless of human finitude. The fact that God has given a special revelation carries with it his purpose to transmit truth through that revelation. Not doing so can question their ability to receive truth so that they might know his will and his ways with certainty, close quote. The Protestant reformers believed that truth could be known. Modern Bible interpreters sadly believe that even if you read the Bible, you probably cannot come to the truth, because after all, what you're doing is you're reading your own biases back into the pages of Scripture. A third area where modern-day Bible interpretation has moved away from the great principles espoused by the Protestant reformers is in the area of original sources. The Protestant reformers wanted to get back to the original sources of Scripture and Scripture alone to discern truth. Jesus uh, exemplified this approach in Mark 7, verse 13, when he said to the Pharisees, you have made null the word of God through your tradition. The Protestant reformers were all about getting back to the original source of Scripture to discover truth. Notice what Martin Luther himself said in his debate with Dr. Johann Eck. He said, quote, I ask for the Scriptures and offers me the Father's. I ask for the Son, and he shows me his lanterns. I ask, where is your scriptural proof? And he adduces Ambrose and Cyril. With all respect to the fathers, I prefer the authority of Scripture. Close quote. You see, the Protestant reformers believed in the priesthood of all believers. They believed that all Christians could read the Bible for themselves and discover the truth. And this is why Martin Luther spent so much of his time translating the Bible into the language of the common man. For example, Martin Luther took 11 months to translate the New Testament into German for the German people from the original Greek sources of the New Testament. He similarly took 11 years to translate the Old Testament, and Martin Luther did not translate from the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate came later. That's the Latin version of the Bible created by Jerome around the 4th century AD. Luther believed that the Latin Vulgate ultimately had been corrupted by Roman Catholicism, and so he wanted to do his translation work not from the Latin Vulgate, but from the original Greek into German, from the original Hebrew into German, 
because Luther, like all of the other Protestant reformers, were very interested in the original sources of Scripture. Compare that to this particular story, quote, There is the story of the New Testament scholar who was retiring after 40 years, and he was asked what his greatest regret was. And he said, my biggest regret as a New Testament scholar is I never had the opportunity to study the New Testament. I spent all my time understanding what the experts were saying about the New Testament, but I never really worked through the biblical text on its own. Close quote. What a sad tribute that is to the emphasis of modern-day scholarship, where you can spend so much time studying things outside the Bible to try to figure out what the Bible says that you never actually study the Bible. The Protestant reformers would have rejected such an approach because they were all about going back to the original sources of Scripture. Another area where the Protestant reformers and their principles are being discarded today is in the area of plain meaning. The Protestant reformers believed that if a concept was identified in the biblical text, then it should be embraced. And we should not be in the practice of reading into the biblical text things that aren't there. Notice the words of Protestant reformer William Tyndale, a contemporary of Martin Luther, who lived from 1494 to 1536, he stated, quote, The Scripture hath but one sense, which is the literal sense. Notice that Martin Luther similarly said, quote, The Scriptures are to be retained in their simplest meaning whenever possible, and to be understood in their grammatical and literal sense, unless the context plainly forbids. Close quote. Compare this approach to plain meaning in the biblical text to what is happening today amongst modern-day scholarship to dismiss many things in the biblical text. For example, there is a great move uh, within modern-day scholarship to dismiss the plain teaching of Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 through 53, of people that came out of the graves and walked around Jerusalem. Here is a quote from some scholars analyzing the sad situation today. Quote, Michael Lycona is a highly respected Christian apologist and the author author of the massively researched The Resurrection of Jesus, a new historiographical approach. He has come under intense fire from two other estimable scholars, Norm Geisler and Albert Moeller, for what they consider to be a dangerous compromise in his interpretation of Matthew 27, 52 through 53. Dr. Lycona has interpreted the events in that Matthew passage as probably belonging to a figurative and eschatological genre, apocalyptic in other words. Apocalyptic literature is often intended not to be understood literally. 
Doctors Geisler and Moeller say that in this context, such an interpretation represents a denial of biblical inerrancy, close quote. Not only are scholars rejecting what the Bible plainly says, but many times they read things into the Bible that aren't there. We see this in the realm of so-called covenant theology, Reformed theology, which rests upon an alleged covenant of grace, even though the Bible itself contains no explicit reference to this covenant of grace. Notice what Hodge concedes in his systematic theology. He says, quote, this statement does not, covenant of grace, that is, rest upon any expressed declaration of the scriptures. And although the word covenant, as in works, is not used in Genesis and does not appear elsewhere in any clear passage in reference to the transaction there recorded, it is plain that the Bible does represent the arrangement made with Adam as a truly federal transaction, close quote. In other words, he is embracing a covenant of grace that Reformed theology and covenant theology revolves around, even though the express expression, the covenant of grace, is not found anywhere in the Bible. What does this represent? It represents a movement away from plain meaning, embracing things in the Bible that people think are in the Bible but really are not in the Bible, or taking the plain statements of the Bible and coming up with some sort of rationale as to why those statements are really not there or should be minimized or marginalized. Let me offer to you, if I could, a final area where modern Bible readers are rejecting the great principles of the Protestant Reformation. It has to do with this area of allegorization. Allegorization is the idea where you use the plain meaning of the naked text of Scripture to sort of use it as a vehicle to bring in some kind of higher or mystical meaning that is not evident from the biblical text. This practice of allegorization was very clever throughout the Dark Ages prior to the Protestant Reformation spanning over a thousand years where people were told they really couldn't understand the Bible for themselves. They had to get the higher meaning, and only the trained clergy was qualified to give them this higher meaning. And so this is the way that the Bible was stolen away from the common people, because only those that understood this uh, ancient practice of allegorization could give you the right definition or interpretation of any biblical passage. Notice uh, some of the comments by Martin Luther as he is reacting against allegorization of the Dark Ages. He says, quote, an interpreter must as much as possible avoid allegory that he may not wander into idle dreams. 
allegories or empty speculations, as it were, the scum of Holy Scripture. Origen's allegories are not worth so much dirt. To allegorize is to juggle with Scripture. Allegory is sort of a beautiful harlot who proves herself especially seductive to idle men. Allegorizing may degenerate into a mere monkey game. Allegories are awkward, absurd, inventive, obsolete, loose rags, mere spangles and pretty ornaments, but nothing more. John Calvin similarly condemned the practice of allegorization. He called them frivolous games and accused Origen and other allegorists of torturing scripture in every possible sense from the true sense. Very sadly, allegorization is embraced by many interpreters today. Notice what one man says concerning Revelation 20, the thousand-year kingdom. He says, quote, The proper understanding of the thousand-year time frame in Revelation 20 is that it is representative of a long and glorious era and is not limited to a literal 365,000 days. The figure represents a perfect cube of 10, which is the number of quantitative perfection. This is nothing more than pure allegorization. The principles of the Protestant reformers are, in many cases, rejected today, and we are moving away from these principles. And so as Bible readers and Bible students, we need to buck modern-day trends and get back to the great principles of the Protestant Reformation. The Bible is meant to be interpreted literally. Truth can be known. Let's get back to the original sources of Scripture. Let's embrace plain meaning, and let's reject the ancient practice of allegorization. You're listening to Encounter God's Truth and special guest teacher, Dr. Andy Woods, is once again addressing the Reformation for us from his distinctive perspective as a pastor, theologian, and attorney. We love these remembrances of church history that he offers each fall. Remember, you can hear them all again by visiting sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb, and you can always get there from our webpage at whitcombministries.org. For more edification and news about our ministry, see us at facebook.com slash Ministries. As we conclude this year's emphasis on departures from the Reformation, I have another question for you, Dr. Woods. How can we who desire to remain faithful learn from those who have departed from the foundation the Reformers gave us? And how should we respond in a way that will honor the true legacy of the Reformation? In terms of learning from these negative examples of departures from the principles of the Protestant Reformers, let's remember that there are, in Scripture and in life in general, negative examples not to follow and positive examples to follow. Certainly, the Scripture itself is filled with both positive and negative examples. We see men like the great Apostle Paul, who seemed to enjoy so much uh, spiritual victory throughout his life, but there are others who bring forth negative examples that we should not imitate. I'm thinking of David and his adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah the Hittite, 
we can embrace the positive examples and imitate them and learn from and move away from the negative examples. That's how the scripture is set up. We can embrace the positive example of the reformers and at the same time not imitate the negative example of those that are departing. And how should we respond? Well, the proper response in an atmosphere of departure is always to get back to the principles of God's Word. In fact, the very first lie that Satan told in Genesis 3, when he said, Has God said, represented a departure from God's Word. Let's reject that and get back to the principles of God's Word, and as a result, maintain the great principles of the Protestant Reformers. Thank you, Dr. Wood. It's always a joy and an honor to have you with us here on Encounter God's Truth. If you feel that way as listeners, please leave a testimony for Dr. Woods on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. Our subject for these two weeks has been departures from the Reformation. We certainly are grateful to Dr. Woods for taking his time to prepare these messages once again. This is the month of Thanksgiving, and we at Whitcomb Ministries have so much for which to be thankful, not the least of which is all the stations that share this weekly faith-building radio broadcast, as well as everyone who listens. You can find lots of material on the importance of Thanksgiving from Dr. John Whitcomb in our library at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. We hope that you have a wonderful month of preparation for the holidays, and we invite you to make our resources part of that. Until next week, I'm Wayne Shepherd delighting in another year studying the Reformation here on Encounter God's Truth. <music>